Good morning. It has been said, I will say it again, and it's good to be with you today, to be back uh, in in this building, to be worshiping with you all. Um, I'm very excited, partially because I can walk around now. I have a whole stage that I can pace on. You know how hard it's been to like stand behind a table for 11 weeks? Now I can walk. You guys, just be ready, because I'm going to wear a hole in this carpet today. Um, I'm also excited because we are starting a new series. We're starting our new series, Devoted Disciples or Bandwagon Believers. We're going to be going into uh, you know, some, some very deep and important truths as we go through this series. And uh, if you feel like you might want to get your steel-toed boots, you will need them, but don't bring them. Okay? I want, us, I want you to be in a place, I want all of us to be in a place where we can allow God to step on our toes, where we can allow God to speak his truth to us, where he, we can allow him to bring transformation into our life. As we go into this series, we're going to be uh, talking today just generally about what the topic is, and then we're going to go over the next uh, seven weeks worth of just kind of diving into the different characteristics of what makes up a devoted disciple rather than being a bandwagon believer. Let's start today. Let's start this series in prayer, surrendering to God, giving him the permission to speak truth. Let us also just give him that permission to, 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 to just reveal the things inside of us that don't align with his nature and his heart so that we can be devoted to him. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. God, we know that you are calling us, God, to be devoted to you. And I pray, Lord, as we dive into this series, as we open the Bible, as we hear your word, Lord, that you would show us where we are are lacking in devotion. Show us, God, where we need to increase that commitment, Lord, where we have sacrificed for convenience and acceptance, God. Help us, Lord, to, to walk as you would have us walk and, and, and behave as you would have us behave, Lord, and, and seek you with, with everything that we are. Lord, we worship you and we praise you for this as we continue to seek you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go in, and guys, my, uh, my clicker is dead. So another um, element. So you guys, just we can go to the next slide. 2020. January 1st, 2020. Would you have imagined anything like what has happened this year. No, right? No one could have project, you know, projected or predicted that 2020 was going to play out the way that it has. You've probably seen, you know, memes online. Can we cancel 2020? Can I, can, can I just like go ahead and get into 2021, right? And, and so many things where people are just over what is going on this year. But it, it's no surprise to me that God the word, the, the theme that he gave us for 2020 is revival. It is no surprise to me that God is, is, is shaking things up in this world because if you remember in our series about revival, what did we learn? That always before revival, there's what? There's a shakeup. Things have to be shaken up. And I believe that God is prepared to pour his spirit into this earth in ways that we have not seen since the beginning of the church, since since the beginning of when Jesus was walking the earth. And you know what? I want that to come. I want to be overshadowed by his power. I want to be empowered by his spirit. I want to see our community changed by the gospel. 
I want people to, be, to just bust eternity open by the multitudes that cannot be counted. What if every soul in Brandon was a Christian? Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be amazing? In the book of Acts, it talks about entire cities being turned to Christ. I believe that God can make that happen. I believe that it's his desire to make that happen. So why the shakeup? Go to the next slide, guys. Why the shakeup? Because as we talked about, before we move into a time of being uh, revived by the Lord, there are things in us that need to be changed. There are parts of our heart that we need. Thank you. There are parts of, there are things in our heart that God needs to remove. There are things in our flesh that don't glorify Him. There are things in our nature that don't reflect God. And so you know what? He, he has to shake things up to shake those things loose from us so that we can be prepared, one, for the move of His Spirit, but then to be used by His Spirit in the revival that He will bring. Now is the time for change. That change must begin in us. There are, there's ugliness in our flesh. There's things that, that, that we still desire or struggle with, the iniquity in our heart that God wants to, get, wants to rid us from. He wants to separate us from. Because it's only when we are free of those things that we can participate and, and engage and actually help. You know, not that we're helping God, but he can use us in the revival that he is bringing. I told you at, uh, last week at the end of uh, the, the, the message last week that the core verse for this series is found in Acts chapter 2. It's verses 42 through 47. And I wanted to, we're going to read that in a moment, but I want to just set the stage for you. So Acts chapter 1, Jesus, at the beginning, he says, he, he promises the Holy Spirit. He tells uh, the people before he ascends into heaven that they must be united. He tells them to wait in Jerusalem uh, for the Spirit of God to come down. Acts chapter 2 there, as it begins at, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says that the, the devoted were together, and then in that place of unity, and that togetherness and unity, the Spirit fell like tongues of fire. The, the buildings were shaken. The people thought that they were drunk, and they said, no, we're not drunk. We're, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They were speaking in tongues of people that were all around them, and that they were able to understand the gospel. In one day, 3,000 people. 3,000 people in one day came to Christ. Peter was, was empowered by the Spirit, and he preached, and he talked to them about who Jesus was, the life that he led, the sacrifice that he made. And hearts and lives were changed forever. And then we see this at the end of Acts chapter 2. It says, and they devoted themselves they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed uh, were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and, and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. 
I think the problem with uh, the, the, the church in America is that we celebrate week by week. And sometimes we don't see people come to Christ week by week. The power of God is one that would allow people to come and experience transformation every single day. 3,000 on one day, and from that day forward, lives were changed and people were saved. Every single day. It's my heart. I believe it's God's heart that he would see the people in Brandon, in Riverview, in, 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 in um, Dover, in Valrico, Bloomingdale, Tampa, wherever you live. I believe that it's God's heart that he sees people in our community come to him and tr- be transformed every single day. Our mission at this church, our vision, it's, it's, it's on the wall and it's here on the slide, it is we desire to be united in Christ just like the early church. This is, this is aligned with Acts chapter 2. What were, what were they doing at the beginning of Acts chapter 2? They were together. They were united in Christ. They were transformed by his love, poured out through his spirit. With what purpose? To bring their community into the family of God. You see, this is, this is what God desires to do in our community. He desires to unite us in him. He desires to transform us by his love, to empower us by his spirit. Not so that we can feel better about ourselves. Not so that we can then be good Christians. Rather, so that we can go out and do the work that he has called us to do. We will not see the harvest until we are devoted. What were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This is what we're doing now. And fellowship. This is what we're doing now. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. How often were they devoted to those things? Every single day. And so think about, do you see the connection between how often they were devoted to the things of God and how often they were um, having a harvest? They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to gathering every day. And God poured out his spirit, and there was a harvest of souls every day. Every day. It's because they were devoted. As we look at this this calling, I hope... I hope that you are with me in this. I hope that when you look at your neighbors, when you look at your family members, when you talk to your coworkers, when there is someone in your life that you know does not know Christ, my prayer is that your heart is broken because without a relationship with Christ, that person is destined to eternal punishment and destruction and separation from God in hell. The transformation that God manifests in our life must be multiplied in the lives of the people around us. It must be. It must be. When we look at our community, we must see that there is a harvest. Jesus, he told the disciples, the fields are white for the harvest. They are ready to be harvested. Just send the workers out. We are the workers that are being called to go out into the field and harvest the souls. And it can happen day by day, but it requires our devotion. When I think about this topic, you know, the the title of the series is Devoted Disciples or Bandwagon Believers. 
You know, I think about in my own um, childhood, you know, I think about the, the sports teams that I watched and paid attention to growing up. You know, the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, right? I loved watching him play. I remember watching, but where are the Bulls today? Right? You think about the Lakers and, and the different things that they've had. The Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Yankees, the, the Atlanta Braves. Right? You, you think about all of these teams. What do they have in common? In the years when they were winning championships, they were selling out games. There, people were buying merchandise. People knew the players. They knew the stats. Right? Their fan base increased. What happened when they were not winning championships? Only the devoted were left. Only the devoted were left. I think the Bucks are probably experiencing a little bit of this right now. Right? You know, we, everybody hated the Bucks. I mean, Jameis Winston, come on, man. Right? He was the best quarterback on every other team in the NFL besides the Buccaneers. Somebody got that. But, but we look at this, like, well, well, Tom Brady, who probably many people hated, oh, he's coming to the Bucks. Oh, I love Brady. I've, I've always been backing Brady. Right? Like people think about that as, oh, no, no, I, I love him. Oh, and Gronk too. Let's go. Right? We're, we're trading our paper bags for Bucks jerseys now. And, and the thing, that, the, the point that I'm bringing up here is we have to be careful that we, don't, that we don't become bandwagon believers. Rather, we have to be devoted disciples. You see, in the years when those teams were winning, there were people that were there. There were fans. But when they were losing, when things were, you know, not looking great, when, 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 when Jameis is throwing intercept, more interceptions and touchdown passes, the only people that were Bucks fans were the devoted and my heart and my, my fear is that we as Christians fall into the same spectrum. That when, when things are going well, when it, when it sounds like it might be okay to be a Christian, when, there are, you know, when, it, when we're not in turmoil like we are in the nation today, like, okay, well, yeah, we can, we can talk about our faith. We can talk about you know, how great it is to believe in God. But you know, in the difficult times, where are the devoted God is calling us to be devoted. He's calling us to surrender to him, to be completely given over to him. As we go through this series, what we're going to do is we're going to break the word devoted down. And there's a word for each letter, so D-E-V-O-T-E-D. Okay, as we work through the rest of this series, we're going to work through that. But today I want to talk about the traps that we fall into that take us away from being a devoted disciple and make us a bandwagon believer. The first trap that we fall into is that we expect the church to do God's work, forgetting the fact that we are the church. Okay? Like we, we talk about the church needing to do certain things. We talk about the church needing to equip us. We talk about the church needing to do that. Listen, what have we learned over the last 11 weeks? We as individuals are the church, not this building, not Kings Avenue Baptist Church, the corporation, every single one of us is the church. In Ephesians chapter four, it says, and he gave, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. You need to like, remember that, okay? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We read this passage and we can see that there are apostles and and teachers and preachers and shepherds, and their role is to equip the people in the church until their faith and their knowledge are unified, and they grow in spiritual maturity, and they can experience the fullness of Christ. And when we look at this, what we, what we can see then is that this, that fullness of Christ helps us along in our walk with God. It keeps us from swaying to and fro. It keeps us from being uh, you know, convinced by false doctrine, by false teaching. It, it helps us recognize, identify, and walk in truth. There's a significant problem in thinking, though, that the church is a gatekeeper to this, that, it, that it's only my job or the elders or the deacons or the Sunday school teacher's job to do this. You see, Jesus didn't come to this earth and then die for only pastors, teachers, shepherds, and preachers, right? Jesus died for everyone. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers, It's not like it's up to me to now hand out and deal out the portions of Christ that God has for you. No. My role, the church's role, church leadership's role is to usher and shepherd you along in your walk. To help you, to teach you, to equip you for the works of ministry. To equip you to go out into the world. When we think about this, We have to acknowledge that each of us must take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We just just came, you know, today is our first Sunday back after 11 weeks of virtual service. What would have happened if the internet broke in the last 11 weeks? Would you have flourished in your walk with God or would you have floundered? You know, the internet almost broke. On March 22nd, our first Sunday, there were so many churches that were then trying and and coming online, and then the demand of bandwidth got to a point. I mean, you asked Jake and Jonathan, right? I mean, it it affected our ability to, to present on that day. Facebook had to respond. I mean, a multi billion dollar corporation responding to the church's demand on the internet. There were memes that said the church broke the internet. But what if that were true? What if over 11 weeks you did not have the ability or opportunity to hear from me? Who would be able to say, I love you, Pastor John, but give me my Bible. Give me Jesus. I will seek him with everything that I am. I will pursue him with my whole heart because I believe that he will speak to me when I pursue him. You don't need me. You don't need me. Your walk with Christ cannot be dependent on my availability and your access to me. God is calling us to take responsibility 
for our own spiritual growth. Listen, I know I have a role in that. I know I have a role in that. So please don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm just not the only one involved. Okay? I'm not the only one involved. We must all acknowledge that we have this responsibility. We have to to realize and get to that point that, that our spiritual maturity, we must take a role in that. If we believe that Jesus saves, and I believe that we do, because I know that he is and that he does, why aren't we out in the streets? Why aren't we out in the streets shouting from the rooftops the sacrifice that Jesus made? Why aren't we the ones doing the work of the ministry? You see, what it talked about in in that Ephesians chapter 4, it says that the shepherds, the preachers, the teachers, the apostles, like all of them, so in our words, the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, the, the small group leader, the elder, the deacon, our, we're, our role as church leaders is to equip you, not just so that you can grow. Yes, it's so that you can experience the fullness of Christ. But that is not just for your benefit. What did it say at the very beginning? It says to equip the saints for what? The works of ministry. The works of ministry. The work of ministry is evangelism. The work of ministry is outreach. The work of ministry is being in the community. So the church's role is to equip you to do that. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, why are we not doing it? Why are we not doing it? I think the answer to that question is something that we studied in that series on revival. We talked about in Haggai 1 and 2 where the nation of Israel, they had been in exile, and a portion of them were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They had been there for 15 years, and they had refused to rebuild the temple. This was, this was something, a rejection of God, because for them to have the temple, that is where God's presence rested. And so what they had done is they had gone back home but they had rejected God's presence. They had gone back to the place that God had given to them, but they said, we can have the home. We don't need God. And so for 15 years, they left the temple in ruins. They were sent there to rebuild it, and they chose not to. What they were saying is, we were fine to have God around us, but they did not want God in their midst. In order for us to be uh, experiencing revival, in order for us to be in a place where he is using us to, to change us and to bring us into a place where we are able to make a difference in our community, you know what needs to happen? We need God in our, in, in, in our midst. I need to let God make me uncomfortable. I need, I need to let God interfere with my lifestyle. I need to let my pastor come in and speak truth to me. Listen. What the people in Haggai did is they took the blessings of God. Remember, the the king that sent them to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, he gave them the wood to rebuild the temple. He gave it to them. And what did they do instead? They used that wood to rebuild their own homes instead of God's house. They used the blessing and provision of God to gratify themselves instead of glorifying the Lord. 
We cannot be in that place if we want to be used by God, if we want him to to speak to us, if we want him to use us. We cannot use the blessings that he has given us to gratify ourselves. Think about what we've been able to, what God has done, not just in us, but in in churches across the world. The ability to stream, the ability to have, you know, voice call, like video calls, to study the Bible virtually, right? I could go online right now. I have every version available in, in, in my U version. I could go to Google. I could go to Bible Gateway. I could go to Bible Hub. I could go any of these different places, to study, the, to study the word, I can go and, and understand what the words t- say. I can't pronounce them in their original language, as you know, but I can study what they mean. But those are all, those, those, those tools, they are tools, not toys, you understand? They are tools that God has given me to equip me in my walk, and they are tools that God has given you to equip you in your walk so that we can go out together to do the work of ministry. I'm going to ask it this way. When you read your Bible, do you read it to make yourself feel good? Or do you read your Bible to get closer to God? Do you read your Bible so that he can speak truth, that he can correct you and rebuke you and teach you like he says his, the purpose of his word is? When you worship, do you lift your hands so that you feel uplifted? Or are you lifting your hands so that you can lift him on high? When you come to this place, do you come to be seen? Do you come to see other people? Or are you coming because his word tells us not to forsake the gathering of believers because it's in this togetherness and unity that we are brought together and made equipped and ready to go out and do the work that he has called us to do. You see, we can't take the things that God has given us, the tools and the blessings that he has given us to gratify our flesh. We use them to glorify him. In Isaiah chapter 29, there's an indictment that I want to make sure does not apply to us. It says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. What that means, you know, as you read Isaiah 29 and 30, God is saying that the people are only coming to him to check the box. They're, they're only coming to him because they, you know, there's, there's an element of guilt. There's an element of, well, I have to do this. They're not looking for connection. They're not looking for true worship. If we are to be devoted, if we are to be you know, among the ranks of the devoted, we must stand in unity We must cry out, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of salvation for all who believe. We must stand together. We must work together to go out into our community. God isn't calling Kings Avenue Baptist Church to be an instrument of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness in our community. God is calling every believer, including those who gather at Kings Avenue Baptist Church, to go out into their communities to be multiplied instruments of grace Love, mercy, and forgiveness. We must be devoted. Another trap that we fall into is we tend to sacrifice commitment for convenience. Anybody have an easy button? 
I, I actually have an easy button. It doesn't work anymore. I've like pushed it so many times that it's just wrong, wrong, Like you know, it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. But like I was, I was reflecting as I was like pulling this slide together. Like who would have known that Staples would have come up with something that has actually like become a staple in our country, right? In in our culture. The challenge is we look for the easy button, right? We look for the path of least resistance. I think Jesus called that the broad path. But we're not called to walk the broad path, are we? Straight and narrow is the road. Straight and narrow is the road. You see, when I think about this goes all the way back to the garden. Adam and Eve were given literally everything. God says, I have made this creation. This creation is good and it is yours. But he wanted them to demonstrate commitment. And so he says, there's this tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat. Don't eat from it. Everything else, everything else is yours. Don't touch the tree. Or don't eat from the tree. He didn't say don't touch it. He says don't eat from the tree. The devil comes in and he says to Eve, did God, did God really say God really say? Now, if someone ever says that, you need to, like you, your defenses need to go up. Okay. The devil says, "Did God really say?" And, and he was like, "Well, he said that we can't eat." He said, and that's where she added that we can't touch it. And the devil says to her, "Well, no, God doesn't want you to eat from that fruit because then you're going to be like Him. You're going to be like God." And Eve says, "Well, I want to be like God." I want to have his wisdom. I, I, I want that. And, and by the way, that fruit looks, man, it looks so good. And it's right there. And so she eats. And then she gives the fruit to Adam, which when I read in my Bible in Genesis, it doesn't say that she had to go find Adam. So that means that Adam was right there and allowed her to eat. And he said, Okay. He ate. Sin entered into the world. You see, they wanted to be like God in wisdom. God wanted them to be like him in nature. And they abandoned the commitment required to do that for the convenience of a bite of fruit that they thought would make it happen. Too often in our walk, with God, we try to find the path of least resistance. We try to find the most convenient way. Do you think it was convenient for me to have a conversation like I did this morning? No. But I love you. Hear my heart. I love you. With every fiber in me, I love you. We cannot sacrifice our commitment for convenience. And this is a heart issue. You see, the heart of a bandwagon believer is convenience. The heart of the devoted is commitment. God never expected, he never laid the expectation that there would be convenience. In fact, there is no such thing as convenient Christianity. 
as the Israelites were moving into the promised land, a land that God had promised them for generations before, God warned them about the impact of convenience to their ability to remember his provision. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of goods, uh, good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God, through Moses, says to the people, we are getting ready to go to a place that we did not work one ounce to create. There was not a single drop of sweat, not a single drop of blood outside of the the, the battle, but even then, no blood, because God, what did he do to the walls? He dropped the walls. There was no effort that they had to do to build the city, no effort that they had to put out to toil the land. He says, you are getting ready to reap the benefit of my grace. You are getting ready to reap the benefit of my provision. And when you do, do not forget that it was me that gave it to you. Do not think that you can sit in the convenience. You must walk in a commitment to him. We must be given the same warning. I am a citizen of a a city that I did not build. My Savior is building it right now. And I'm a citizen of that place. I have reaped the benefit and provision of God that I can't make work. And I'm a smart guy when it comes to numbers. And God is telling me, he is telling you, when you reap the benefit of my provision, do not forget the commitment that you made to me and my commitment to you in giving that provision. We must, we must continue in that commitment and not sacrifice it for convenience. The challenge And why the heart of the devoted is commitment and the heart of the bandwagon believer is convenience is because at some point, commitment will cost you convenience and it will also cost you the acceptance of man. It will cost you. You will have to make decisions. You will have to set boundaries. You will have to stop doing things that people want you to do. You will need to start doing things that they don't want you to do. And we cannot, we cannot fall into the trap of, of saying, well, I, you know, I need to be accepted by them. How do I know this? Jesus, what did he tell his disciples? He was, he was sending them out even before his crucifixion. He says, I'm sending you out. And when you go, if they rejected me, they will reject you. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul writes, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He he explicitly calls out the fact that we cannot please God and man at the same time. Who are you trying to please? Who are we trying to please? I'm trying to please God. I want to please God with everything in me. 
Listen, Jesus is not worried about the number of friends that you have. Jesus is worried about how many friends you have that are going to hell because you're afraid of rejection. I'm going to say that again. Jesus isn't worried about how many friends you have. He is worried about how many of your friends are lost and going to hell because you're afraid of rejection. Now we have to be careful. And this is, this is, I like almost didn't put this in here. Because I want, I, we have to be careful. Because we can position and posture to a point where it is our religion that is creating the offense instead of the gospel. You see, it was the gospel that is offensive. Christians should not be offensive. We have to speak the truth in love, right? Our message is going to offend people. Why? The gospel is offensive to the world because it reveals their sin. The gospel offends the religious because it provides grace for that sin. And so we must walk that line. It is not an easy line to walk, but like I said earlier, we have the Holy Spirit. We cannot be bandwagon believers. We must be devoted disciples. Ask yourself the question, where will you be when persecution comes? Where will you be when it is no longer convenient to follow God? The last trap that we fall into is that we believe we still have a vote in how we conduct our lives. You see, God has given us, it's a paradox. It's a paradox. God has given us free will with the full expectation that we surrender that will to him. God has given us the ability to choose and then tells us to be like Christ who in the garden the night of his arrest said, not my will, God, your will. Think about your wife, your spouse. Now I do things like dishes that I just don't like to do. Like, and I just, I, I don't. Like I have, I have a teenage son who can do them. He just happens to be away for the summer. And so now... <sighs> every night, Melanie, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that she takes every dish to cook dinner and then like somehow gets new dishes for us to eat off of and then I have to do the dishes. But you know what? I do them because I'm devoted to her. Because I love her. She does things for me, I mean, we have twin two-year-olds that are like hurricanes. I mean, just hurricanes. And, you know, with having to work completely, you know, at my house now, they don't understand that daddy just can't, like, you know, have an interaction. I was on a client call one time, and McKenna just storms into my office while I'm talking to a client, and she says, I'm poopy, daddy. I'm poopy. Thankfully, they were understanding. But Melanie, because she is devoted to me, even though it is taxing on her, 
does everything that she can to be a mother to those girls. And every moment and chance that I can, I try to relieve that burden because we are devoted to one another. I want you to think about that word devoted as a compound word. So we all have a vote. When we are devoted, I am taking my vote away because I no longer have a choice in the things that I am going to do because the commitment that I made in a different season determines the action that I must take today. Do you get that? I'm going to say it again. We believe we have a vote. When we are devoted, we take that vote away. We devote ourselves. I surrender my vote to my wife because I love her. I surrender my vote and my choice in how I conduct my life to my God because he saved me. And he will be the one to lead me. Our commitment must outlast our feelings Because there are many times when I don't feel like doing the dishes. I'm certain there are many times when Melanie doesn't feel like trying to corral the babies while I'm on a phone call. But our commitment to one another makes that happen. There will be times when you may not feel like doing what God has called you to do. But your commitment to him must drive you through that feeling. This is completely and repetitively illustrated in Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Don't give sin or your flesh a vote Romans 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh do not please God. If you're trying to have a vote, you're not able to please God. Galatians, it says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Your flesh wants a vote. Take the vote away and walk by the Spirit. It goes on, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. They've taken that flesh that wants a vote and they've put it on the cross with Jesus. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Philippians says, what is more, I consider everything, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Garbage. The things of the world are garbage. That I may, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through the through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In Luke chapter 9, I'm just going to keep going, guys, because there's, there's, there's a lot here, and I want, you to, I want you to gather it so you know that I'm just not taking one scripture. There's so much truth in the word that hi- highlights this point. It says, Then he said to them, All whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. They must devote themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 
Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, but lose their very self? The translation says their soul. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, probably my favorite here. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Each of these passages, they plainly show that while we might believe or even wish that we have a vote, we do not. That we are called to take that vote away. We are called to surrender our will and our choice to God. And that we follow His lead. That we don't listen to the flesh. The flesh is on the cross. And we surrender ourselves to the only one that resurrected, and that is Christ. Our present preference, the things that we might want to do now, if we are to be devoted, our present preference must be submitted, we must put it in subjection to our predetermined decision. And if you have committed committed your life to God, if you have received Christ as your Savior, then in that moment, your decisions were made. Your decisions were made. And those decisions were to surrender to him in everything. To speak truth in love. To be, to be a disciple that is, is making disciples. I was thinking about it this morning. And, and you know, God told Adam and Eve, he said, you know, for them to be fruitful and multiply. And he gave a very similar command to the disciples. What did he say? Go and make disciples. Disciples making disciples. This is, this is the model. And if we want God to move in our community, if we want God to pour out his spirit, if we want to experience revival, then we must be devoted. We must be devoted. So I have some questions for you. Are you a devoted disciple or a bandwagon believer? Are you looking to the church to do the work or are you going to be the church and do the work? Have you sacrificed your commitment for the convenience of the world or the acceptance of man? And are you still trying to cast your vote and how you live your life? Or have you given that vote to Christ? I'm going to pray and, you know, we're, we will still have a time of invitation. If you want to come and pray with me, I will pray with you. If you want to pray around our, our altar, you are welcome to do that. But let us all right now make a commitment that we will no longer be a bandwagon believer, but we will from this moment forward be devoted disciples. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your love. I thank you, God, that, that you're here speaking truth to us. God, as we look at the, the, the words that you have painted, the, the picture that you have painted for us, God, help us to see where we might have fallen into the trap, where we might have tried to abdicate our responsibility, where we have sacrificed our commitment for convenience or acceptance, where we have tried to give a vote in how we lead our life. 
Convict us right now through your spirit. Speak that truth. Reveal your heart to us, God. Show us where we need to move from being a bandwagon believer to a devoted disciple. God, help us to understand the devotion that you are calling us to and give us the comfort to know that you will help us in that. God, if there is anyone here that has never received the gift of Christ, Lord, draw them to you right now. Let them raise uh, their hands and let them just cry out, Lord, to you, asking for forgiveness and acknowledgement of their sins so that you would come into their life. Make them different. Make all of us new through your word and your spirit, Lord. Here and now, we devote ourselves to you. We are committed. We will do the work of the ministry. And God, you have our choice. We give our vote to you. Teach us, lead us how to conduct our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.